0: The mainstream media really represent elite interests, and they serve those elite
1: interests in a way that can be described as carrying out a propaganda function. All right, now that we've narrowed the agenda to the one acceptable question, are the media too liberal, let's have a look at the way it's argued. Uh, If you want to show that, uh, you would look at the media product, and you would try to demonstrate that it uh, reflects Uh, you know, a slant uh, or a distortion supporting a liberal agenda. Nobody does this. That would take a little work. And besides, if you did it, you'd immediately fall on your face because it works the other way. So what's done is to produce a a proposal which is so idiotic uh, that you have to uh, wonder at the cynicism of the people who are putting it forth and, uh, and their contempt for the population. The proposal is the following. Let's ask how journalists vote. Okay, So we find, let's say, 80% of them vote Democratic. OK, we've now proven the media are too liberal. It proves nothing. First of all, no matter what, even if the facts are right, it proves zero. Uh, you could find that 99% of the uh, journalists are members of the Socialist Workers' Party, uh, you know, or, or, or some Maoist group. And that in itself would prove nothing about the media output. Uh, The issue is whether the media are free. Uh, Are the media, by their institutional structure, free to allow expression of opinion from whatever source and looking at any topic and so on and so forth? So if it turned out that 80% of journalists were part of one faction of the business party rather than another faction of the business party, would that tell you anything?
0: Welcome fellow plebs, my name is Sean, and this is Tribunus Plebees. Hey, welcome everybody to episode 8 of the Tribunus Plebis podcast. Uh, It's good to have you with me. Today we're going to have a little more Stormtrooper talk. Hey, what can I tell you, this is actually important to talk about. So protests persist in Portland, Oregon, just as they have for every day for over two months. Now, if you spend your days listening to Fox News or reading Breitbart or, you know, taking in right-wing YouTube content, then you probably think that Portland, Oregon is some hellish dystopian nightmare. You probably think that protesters have turned the city into a war zone, that they're burning down buildings across the city, and that the regular run-of-the-mill citizens, the good citizens of Portland, Oregon, are living in fear. You probably think that they can't leave their homes for fear of mobs and murder and arson and general lawlessness. And you'd be very wrong. Portland is very safe right now. The area where the protests happen, that you hear about on the news and that you see video of, is like a two to four block area. And the protests generally only turn into something other than like your basic like your basic peaceful protests after nightfall. And importantly, the change in these protests at night is not due to some like werewolf-like effect of the moon on the protesters, which causes them all to change into like hate-driven, violence-mad fiends. The impetus for this change is the police. And it isn't even primarily the local police. No, it's the federal agents that were dispatched to that Pacific Northwest hippie enclave, which ignited the violence each and every night. And this isn't to exclude the local PD. They have been hit themselves with multiple restraining orders because of First Amendment violations due to beatings and mass arrests and and for arresting both legal observers and media members who are documenting these abuses. And when the city proactively made it a law that it was illegal to use tear gas on people unless there was a quote-unquote riot, the police began to simply say that everything was a riot, and they continued their disgusting behavior of assaulting those who they are sworn to protect. In perhaps the least shocking bit of news here, the head of the Portland Police Union has repeatedly called for even more abuse of citizens. The union head is named Daryl Turner. And he is fond of using war terms to describe the situation in Portland. He suggests that the city is under siege. He says that there is actually a war for the city and that the city leaders are putting politics above safety and that they are against the police officers themselves. So let's clear some things up. First, Daryl Turner and people like Daryl Turner are bad people. Second, there is not a war in Portland. The city is absolutely not under siege, and both of those things are extremely important to keep in mind. What we should actually be horrified by is how Portland police refuse to protect their own citizens, you know, the ones they are actually sworn to protect. This is doubly important when we consider that rather than standing up to this tyrannical force represented by federal agents, they join with those federal forces against the citizens in the street. Much like the supposed patriots who take over federal buildings and talk, you know, a lot of junk about standing up to the federal government with their big guns and big bullets, the local police are far more prone to march with federal troops who take away our rights than they are to stand up to them. And it makes a lot of sense from like an internal cultural policing perspective, too. After all, the various police agencies are a little more Than the violent clenched fist of oppression that the government wields against us with reckless abandon. It is absolutely no wonder that when push comes to shove, they band together and attack citizens. They act as local fundraisers, they implement racist policing, they protect those with wealth, and they feed the prison industrial complex. It is literally what they are designed for. Any good they do is little more than happenstance. The federal agencies that these violent cops are pulled from range from the Department of Homeland Security to ICE and even the TSA. Most of the members are from the DHS SWAT and response teams, teams meant to combat narco-traffickers. Why were these people in Portland, Oregon? Shouldn't DHS, ICE, and the Border Patrol be protecting the borders? Why are they hundreds of miles away from the border assaulting citizen protesters? And we know why. It's because Trump thinks that this is what his base wants. And you know what? He is probably right. And let me note here that as I am recording this, federal troops from ICE, TSA, and any other organization aside from DHS has supposedly begun pulling out of Portland. DHS, however, will remain. And I wanted to note that because, you know, I both wanted you to know that I'm aware of this as as I'm talking about this situation, but also just to say that This story is way too important to not talk about even as they're pulling out. And I will also point out that the past two nights of protests in Portland have been extremely peaceful as the Fed stormtroopers have not instigated violence on the people there and Portland's own state police have even stepped back. It's weird how taking the thugs away, the federal agents who were perpetrating the violence, really settled things down. It's almost like the cops were the problem again. But don't let up because the feds have already begun sending federal agents into other American cities. And one other thing as well don't let anyone else take the credit for this win either. Not the mayor of Portland, or the governor, or any of these jackboot thugs who is leading one of these departments, or any of these horrific monsters in the president's circle. This win belongs only to one group of people the citizen protesters of Portland, of Oregon, and anyone else who attended these protests and fought back against tyranny. We the people won. Well, they the Oregonians, I guess, won. But citizens won. This shows us one of the great truths of the world. The government never wins when the people are united and fight back. They might have their Pyrrhic victories, but they will always fall if the people stick together. Corporations fall too, so go unionize. Meanwhile, it does us no good to constantly note how supposedly patriotic gun owners, the ones who demand their rights to guns to defend themselves against an oppressive government, sit by the side and don't help. Yes, they are hypocrites. Yes, they know it. No, they do not care. They don't actually give a shit about you or your friends because they don't agree with you or them. They will not fight for us or with us. As protesters are abused or even killed, these sorts of people will cheer. Then they will make excuses for the cops who abused and murdered them. Because they are, at a very fundamental level, selfish. But we've known this for a hundred years. Those who fetishize the military and police always side with the military and police, regardless of their personal rhetoric. There will be no help from the All Lives Matter crew, I'm sad to report. And eventually, as authoritarian and even fascistic tendencies creep into America, these right-wing military types will begin to realize that just as they refuse to fight for their fellow citizens whom they disagree with, then fellow right-winger libertarian types will refuse to fight with or for them themselves. If the worst were to happen, this lot would see that all the people who were willing to fight were either killed, jailed, or fled. And all the while they sat idly by, comforted by their guns, while their precious bullets were never fired. And then the government shows up and they cheer and salute and show off their Don't Tread on Me flag and recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Because they are, in the end, a selfish lot, and they do not actually understand the power that actually threatens governments. These fools believe that this power lies in individuals with guns and bullets and a worldview based on selfishness, and not in the collective actions of the people. This is why they will always kowtow to the powers that be when push comes to shove. Nevertheless, we must fight on. Armed personnel in combat gear and camo fatigues with no agency markings or badges who are black-bagging American citizens and detaining them, sorry, kidnapping them, cannot be allowed to stand. This is, as we've said several times, actual tyranny. It is an actual assault on our constitutional rights, actually multiple amendments, actually. In our last episode, we talked briefly about how Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic establishment is complicit in these crimes. They aren't resisting them at all. They helped push and pass Trump's DHS funding increase, even as these attacks on our fundamental rights as American citizens are being openly attacked by that same agency. This week, those same Democrats vote against a bill that would have cut the military budget by 10%. Meanwhile, Trump is saying that he will send quote-unquote surges of federal officers into other American cities. And how does America respond? Well, they continue to hail Pelosi as some sort of hero. Screw her. She isn't a goddamn hero. Oh, and then they praise Trump for stomping on our rights. Screw all of these people, okay? They are bad people. You want to know the sickest part of all of this? There are actually American citizens who are cheering this on. They are actively supporting sending unwanted federal agents into American cities to kidnap, detain, terrorize, and assault fellow citizens. And those voices are fucking winning. These acts of governmental tyranny are coming from the federal government and moving down. Locals aren't calling for Fed help. In fact, the locals are actively fighting back against the violence of these federal agents. Very bravely, I might add. The twisted part is that citizens of this country, citizens of this supposedly free country, citizens who from one side of their mouth demand sovereignty, constitutional rights, and freedom from oppression, are openly supporting these practices. We are literally begging our own government for our own oppression. And now that I've talked about that for a while, I want to point something else out. The government and the media is warping the message of these protests. Notice how the reason for these protests is almost never brought up anymore? For those with poor memories, I will remind you. It is because of police violence perpetrated against black Americans. These protests are about police abuse, racist policing, and black lives mattering. Always keep that in mind. We can't let the media, due to the current situation, what they did to Colin Kaepernick's and twist the intent of the protest. Kaepernick took a knee to protest police brutality against black Americans. The media very quickly began to lie and obfuscate and turned Cap's protest into a protest which somehow was against America itself and against troops. Now, we might tell each other that you'd have to be pretty damn silly to actually believe those lies. But much of the country did believe them. They really think Kaepernick hates the troops. And much of the rest of the country probably can't even correctly tell you why Kaepernick originally took a knee. The government and the media are running the exact same playbook right now. Don't let them change the narrative. This is exactly the same sort of gaslighting and lie by omission that Chomsky and Herman warned us against in their book, Manufacturing Consent. The media and the feds are trying to show us a funhouse mirror image of what's going on in Portland and pass it off as an objective reality. They are lying to all of us, and the media is helping them. Together, they are promoting lies, partial truths, and obfuscations as their commercial and relationship-driven narrative. We, as citizens, are calling the dogs and goons on our fellow citizens because the media and the government tells us we should. They are indeed manufacturing our consent. Meanwhile, in Washington, the Republican Party is pushing to cut COVID unemployment benefits from $600 per week down to $200 per week, in just another layer of their platform of cruelty just for cruelty's sake. Yes, in a time of mass unemployment, due to no fault of any of the millions of unemployed across this country, Donald Trump's Republican Party is trying to cut the benefits that are keeping people in their homes with the air conditioning on and the lights on. We have the most unemployed citizens in this country since the Great Depression, and what have we gotten so far? A single $1,200 check, which was basically given out as a landlord stimulus and a whole shitload of corporate handouts. Really, the best aspect of any of these PPP or CARES packages was the $600 stipend on top of regular unemployment. That is something that is actually helping people, and now the Republicans are battling to cut two-thirds of that assistance. McConnell said that while unemployment benefits are important during a crisis like we are experiencing, nobody should make more on unemployment than they did off of it. And to that, I extend two very fervent middle fingers and tell Mitch McConnell to go fuck himself with that bullshit. Now, let's talk for a moment here about the $600 stipend and why it actually exists. It doesn't really exist to make the unemployed whole, not in a truly philanthropic sense. The reason this $600 exists is to keep people from having to work and help dull the spread of the pandemic. People aren't refusing to go back to work either. In fact, if the unemployed are offered their jobs back, they lose unemployment and the $600. It doesn't even make sense. This isn't some great screwing of the American bank account by its citizens. It's a morally proper thing to do. Take care of people who have lost their jobs despite having done nothing wrong at all. This is just abject cruelty from the Senate. Oh, and the Senate just walked out and went on vacation, and they're going to let the $600 stipend time itself out, which will cause actual harm to actual innocent Americans who are actually struggling. The only people in this country in need of a pay cut right now are the senators. Some minimum wage cubicle worker or fast food employee is making an extra hundred bucks a week because a disease is wrecking our economy and that's the big problem. Tens of millions of people out of work and your pathetic hate-filled hearts decide to go after that little bit of safety net and take it away. There is no good argument to support these actions. It is just raw, unadulterated cruelty. And they perform these cruelties because cruelty is the point. If you are unemployed during a pandemic, then they can't transmute your life force into gold and take it from you. And they blame you for that. Not the virus, and certainly not the system. Goddamn bloodsuckers is what they are. These people are absolute vampires. Vampires. And what was the Democratic response to all of this? Well, their big contribution, as rent moratoriums expire all across the country, was to give more money to those affected to keep them housed and safe. I am just kidding with you. The big Democratic idea was to provide access to lawyers to evicted tenants. Yes, that was their solution pay lawyers. They could have helped actual tenants, actual people actually struggling, and they decide to instead provide access to lawyers. What a bunch of dicks! Does anything scream American liberal nonsense more than access to lawyers, even as millions of human beings are about to be tossed out onto the streets? As an alternative, and to kind of spin this back to the power of people as opposed to those absolute ghouls we have who we allow to lead us, in New Orleans, protesters are picketing in front of courthouses to prevent lawyers and landlords from filing and attending eviction hearings. That is a solution, guys. It's on us, the people, to make any change and to fight these horrible people. Okay, now, I really want to draw some attention to and focus on for a few minutes right now is the language that McConnell and the rest of the Republican bastards have included that shields corporations from lawsuits related to COVID openings. Basically, they are trying to make it so that workers cannot sue employers who open shop and force their workers to come in if they get sick, even if that sickness or even death is due to the provable negligence of the company as it relates to COVID. Now McConnell, Trump, and anyone else in the Senate who supports this idea will tell you that it is all about an overly litigious society and that it is meant to help small businesses protect themselves against a near-certain flood of lawsuits. But all of that is 100% bullshit. This entire thing, this protection from litigation, it's not meant to shield small businesses at all. It is meant to protect Amazon and McDonald's and Walmart and United Technologies. It is intended to protect the people and entities that shove the most money into the Republican Party political coffers and into the pockets of Trump and McConnell and all the other bought and paid for scumbags on Capitol Hill. You've probably heard about qualified immunity over the past couple of months as it relates to policing. Basically, Qualified immunity makes police officers immune from lawsuits so long as they were performing their jobs when they do something wrong. But it goes even further than that. Not only are officers immune from lawsuits for things that are done on the job, say crashing a car during a chase and and injuring or killing somebody, they are actually protected from being sued for grievous misconduct unless there is precedent already on the books concerning identical misconduct. And it actually gets even worse than that, but that's sort of besides the point right now. Please go search around for the protections qualified immunity gives officers and get angry about it. That being said, and I apologize for that that little aside, this is basically what the Senate and Republicans are trying to do to push through for corporations. Qualified immunity as it relates to COVID. And there are two things I'm thinking about here. The first is that corporations are paying McConnell And his scumbag buddies to pass this law so that these same corporations can actively kill their workers. Yeah, that's about it, right there, isn't it? They want to be able to call their workers back before it's safe and shield themselves from the inevitable lawsuits that would result after workers or their family members start dying. This is how dark our government is, guys. Please be angry about this. And lastly, We have our wonderful media coverage of our president. The latest GDP report drops, and it shows a drop of 33% in the gross domestic product. This is the worst result in history. Now, the GDP measurement isn't the be all, end all of things to look at, much like the stock market, actually, but a drop this massive is pretty alarming. Minutes after all this bad news dropped, Trump sent out a tweet talking about delaying the election because mail-in ballots can't be trusted. Yep, that's our moron of a president. Well, actually, I guess he isn't that stupid in this case, because now that tweet is all that the media can talk about. They keep talking about the president wanting to delay the election. Here's the thing, though. The president can't delay the election, and the only way to delay the election is via Congress and that won't happen either. And the president knows this, and so does the media. So we had two stories here. One concerns our actual livelihoods and health, not just stock numbers on a screen or quarterly corporate results. These are real people, regular people losing their jobs. This is real pain felt by real people, and much of it caused by our president and his administration's nearly complete and total failure to do anything correct at all when it comes to this pandemic. The other story is the fevered dream of a moron. And which of these stories is getting the most play? Yep, the fevered dreams of a moron. The worst quarterly drop in GDP before now? A 10% drop in 1958. This was a 33% drop. But Trump said something crazy. And the current drop is close to four times as bad as the worst quarterly downturn during the Great Recession. But Trump tweeted something crazy. On top of all that, another one and a half million Americans filed for unemployment last week. But Trump was sniffling. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. And we can tie all of this back into the stimulus bill that the Senate is working on as well. And you can even go back to episode six of this podcast where we talk about performative political bullshit and listen to that as well. Because the media would rather focus on Trump's idiotic tweets that mean nothing than actually focus on the actual harm he and his sycophant bastards in the Senate are perpetrating against you and me and your fellow citizens. And this is how evil creeps into our society. It gets rationalized, normalized, and passed off as banal political news. In its stead, we find breathless breakdowns of stupid statements and constant analysis of Trump's insults. We get an intense focus on the performative bullshit we talked about last episode. The tearing of papers is given more press than the Afghanistan papers. And for those who weren't paying attention for the 2.3 seconds that the Afghanistan papers were talked about on the news, those were the papers that showed how the Pentagon and government have been lying to us for the entirety of the war in Afghanistan. Yep. Pelosi is celebrated as a resistance hero for tearing papers, but she is not held over the fire for lying to the country about a fucking war. And that is it for this episode, folks. <laughs> Sorry to end it like that, but that's, you know, what else is there to say? If you think I'm wrong? Disagree with a particular point? Let me know where and how you Disagree. We're all here to learn and discuss, I hope, so hit me up on Twitter or Facebook. If you are enjoying any particular episode or the podcast in general, don't be afraid to share it. Word of mouth really helps with podcasts. You can follow Tribunus Plebis on Twitter or Facebook. You can just search at Tribunus Media on both of those platforms or Tribunus underscore media on Instagram. And don't be afraid to rate and review on Apple. This is the primary way that podcasts are found, so it really does help a lot. Thank you.